You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome to Faith and Other Oddities. Um, we are back in the studio, uh, me and Emily. Um, After many and much delay. <laughs> yes, um, it's not going to show up on your end, but on our end it's been a little crazy. We were supposed to have recorded this two weeks ago. Um, we had some craziness going on with back to school, and then uh, my oldest daughter uh, broke her arm, so... Uh, that's still he- healing up, you know, if you... But it's healing fine. Yeah, it's healing fine, but uh, pray for continued healing on that. <laughs> yeah, and she seems to be, you know, this hasn't slowed her down one little bit. Yeah, if anything, we're having to tell her to to take it easy. <laughs> she's uh, she's in that phase where it doesn't hurt. And but... she's got this really hard cast she can swing around. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, so... Anyway, but yeah, so if, if we seem a little disjointed, that might be why... Um, it's just gloomy day here in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's cloudy day when we're recording, but this is what the schedule is. And you recorded a commentarians last night. I can't wait for that one too. That's yeah, yeah. So it, it's going to be good. I hope. Um, I haven't edited it yet, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to listening to that as I as I get that process done. I'm telling you, it's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. So anyway, we had a great guest. So, and we will tell you who that is uh, later, but. Uh, you got to tune into com- uh, to coming attractions, right? So, anyway, uh, but that being said, we are back in Judges. Mm-hmm. We just wrapped up with Deborah, the Song of Deborah, right? So that was a great. That was that was a fun series. I I learned a lot through that, and now there's so we're... much more that we didn't get to go into. But oh, I know, <laughs> I know, and and maybe we'll we'll get to it eventually. Or you know, I'm sure. With as much as it cross-references other things, yeah. as we go through other parts of the Bible, I'm sure we'll kind of stumble on some of that and, and tie in well, that's and fill in some of those blanks part as we go. of Judges. There is so much that is cross-referenced. So I, I did not realize how pivotal this book was until we started getting into mm-hmm. it. So now we're actually, we're moving on into to Gideon. Yeah. And we're in chapter six. Well, and, before we, before we yeah. get to Gideon, like, like you said, how pivotal this book is, it's kind of sad that this it is so pivotal and there's so much that goes onto it but it's it's one of the more ignored books of the bible mm-hmm. with the exception of uh Gideon and Samson are yeah. pretty much the people we get to hear about in the and the rest of it just kind of gets tossed by the wayside well and even we're going to find with Gideon's story there's huge chunks of his story that really get glossed over mm-hmm. well and and so but before we get to that I'm sorry yeah. I, I keep backing you up but no, so so we just wrapped up our Deborah coverage, and I actually there was another podcast I was listening to, and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Um, but they they were very, uh, and again, I don't want to harp too much on the egalitarian complementarian <laughs> thing, but this they were obviously very compliment. Like the the title of the episode was "Living Complementarian in an Egalitarian World." Okay, yeah, yeah, and of course it's like I think three guys talking about this. You know, <laughs> it's like so, the poster of the women's conference going around with the four oh, pastors but we anyway want to talk about that <laughs> uh, but no so so i'm i'm listening to this podcast and and of course they're going through all of 
what they call the bogus proof text for women in mm-hmm. leadership. Um, and one of the things for like, well, everyone always brings up Deborah. Well, the thing is we're not ever told to imitate any of the other judges. And I'm like going, well, I don't know where you went to church. <laughs> um, because we're right. told to be like Samson or to be like Gideon, mm-hmm. uh, put your fleece out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually, I mean, well, and, and, and nothing against it. I think, I think we can take that lesson from Gideon, mm-hmm. uh, and apply it in a lot of ways. I know we're going to get there, mm-hmm. but you know, I, you and I have a mutual friend who wrote a book on Gideon, right? Uh, we got to actually be beta readers for that. And mm-hmm. I think I, is it been released yet? I need to get with, with him and find out. Uh, we need to find out if it is, then we need to put a link well, in the show notes and get him on the show. Yes, we do. So anyway, <laughs> uh, aside from that, but yeah, it was just like, I was thinking about that, um, because you said we're going to get into Gideon, but I wanted to tag up, kind of wrap up this last little bit on Deborah, this okay. couple thoughts I had there, because I did find it interesting that that was their, their, their reasoning. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't really go into much other reasoning. They didn't dive into the text to talk about why she was not actually a leader because obviously they can't. Right. Um, but, uh, but it was just frustrating to me because they were saying, well, we're not, you know, the judges were never supposed to be an example for us anyway. So why, why would we put Deborah as an example other than the fact that she's praised in the text? Uh, right. Exactly. And, and well, and that's the, the thing that I have with both sides when they're dealing with Deborah. With they, again, we talked about in the episode, we want to talk about gender roles. We don't want to talk about what was said, what's actually in the text. Right, right. And that, that's irritating to me because there's so much there. Yeah, and yeah there's, there's a whole, whole yeah. lot more there. And she's not just a judge. She is a prophetess. And so we're supposed to heed the words of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And that includes this woman prophet. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so with anyway, you. <laughs> I, that, that's my gripe. I'm, I'm, start the show out complaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, mom always said, do what you're good at. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had plenty of practice. So, um, but c- complaining's legitimate, right? I mean, it's, it's whenever you get into, uh, break you know, uh, what's the word being just to be, just being derogatory, like an actual right. complaint against their argument, I think is fine. I'm not, I'm right. not denigrating their character other than to say, I think they believe a wrong argument. And, and that's legit. And I think that's one of the things that we, we as Christians need to get better at is communicating with other believers who don't hold the same interpretation of scripture. Mm-hmm. And if we can have those conversations, you and I talk about this a lot, that it, it does a couple of things. One, it allows new ideas to come out, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which is always a good thing. And it allows you to learn how to arti- articulate your view. I'm having problems saying articulate. That's funny. Um, Irony. But, um. <laughs> you know, it teaches you how to articulate your view more clearly, more succinctly. And, and sometimes you find out why you believe what you believe. Because I know a lot of us, you know, we've got secondhand beliefs. We, we just kind of inherited them. And so. Yeah. I think I still have some of those laying around somewhere. Oh, I'm sure we all do. to clean them out. Yeah. So. And so, and I think that's what those discussions help us do. So. If we can have respectful conversation and actually say, I've got a problem with this or a problem with that, and here's why, then I think there's, there's merit to that. And we need to stop being afraid of those conversations right? and stop thinking that means we don't love the other person or we can't be loved in return. And because Jesus and the apostles argued and, you know, the, of course the apostles were wrong, but still the fact that we can argue. Right. What? Problem with the coffee cups there? Um, I thought I had the other mug, but I guess I have this one. 
<laughs> it's irrelevant. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it holds liquid. Yeah, it serves its purpose. So, so anyway, so I think that kind of wraps up Deborah nicely uh, with our last little bit of commentary on it. Yeah. It's oh. not even our commentary. It's commentary on someone else's commentary. Well, at this point in history, that's kind of what you got. Well, how very <laughs> rabbinic of us. Speaking to the rabbis. <laughs> yeah. They liked judges, right? <laughs> they actually did. And they, they had a lot of conversations about judges because all of the, pro- the, the characters are so problematic. Mm-hmm. And because they are so problematic, how do you turn these, these flawed human individuals into heroes? Well, you, well, and the ultimate answer, and I think you, I think you know my answer on this, you don't. Right. You let them be people and realize God's, again, God's the main character of his own book. <laughs> well, and that's, and we're going to get into this because Gideon, uh, his story really opens up with a significant problem. And um, th- there's some major rabbinic debate. And I, I just want and we're going to talk about that. But before we get there, uh, just to catch us up in the book, Deborah has died. There's been 40 years of peace, um, but the people revert to their old ways. I mm-hmm. mean, this is, remember, this is a downward spiral that Israel is caught up in. And now the, the Midianites, they're coming in every year, and they've been doing this for seven years. They're coming in every year, and um, they're destroying the crops. And the uh, Art Scroll translation I've been using says that they come to destroy the land. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a violent act. Well, and, w- and when you live, when you're farming, you're living mm-hmm. off the land. Yeah. So if, if it, the land's destroyed, your far- crops are dis- destroyed. And it's, it's gotten so trouble. bad, the people are living in caves. And so when you've got people living in caves to stay safe, mm-hmm. that kind of gives you an idea that things are not good. I mean, it's, right. it's beyond just burning some fields. I mean, there's, um, Deborah kind of alluded to it in her song that, you know, there's no travelers on the road, that, you know, commerce is being imp- impeded and mm-hmm. all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but the Midianites, again, were kind of having that weird uh, bringing the family back in to, to oppress the people. We talked about that with the Moabites mm-hmm. before. Uh, the Midianites, they're actually descended from Abraham. They're from one of his uh, concubines. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, because everyone always forgets that Abraham, uh, it wasn't just... Uh, Ishmael and Ish- Isaac. Yeah, and Hagar, it, they, they, after Sarah died, he... They had Keturah. Yeah. And, yeah, and so... the this is where the Midians come from. So they're, they're actually family. Okay. Um, they're the Kenites that we've talked about in so many of the past mm-hmm. episodes are a clan within the Midianites. Okay. So in Exodus, when you read Kenite or Midianite, sometimes they're used interchangeably. Sure. So that kind of gives you just a little bit of context for them. And so of course, um, the people do what they always do. They cry out and God, God responds. And, you know, they, they haven't been living in obedience. They, they still aren't repenting. They, they are just, this hurts. Somebody needs to come fix it. And, and God sends a prophet. And I did not realize that God had sent a prophet. I'm sure I'd read it, but I'd forgotten it. Uh, th- this is the only prophet aside from Deborah that shows up in uh, Judges. And he, this guy is not a judge. He's not a deliverer. He has one job, and that's just to tell the people what God has got on his mind. And we don't even have a name. That, that's kind of how insignificant he is as a person. He's more significant as, you know, in the message that he has to deliver. And so 
Now, this is where we start to talk about the rabbinic stuff, because the rabbis like to fill in the blanks. They don't like unanswered questions. Hmm, right. So because we've got this guy speaking and they, they want to know who he is, they, they say that it's Phineas. Now, Phineas is an interesting character. We find him in Numbers 25. Okay. Okay. So if you're familiar with Numbers, the, the early 20 chapters are all about Balaam. And Phineas is actually the grandson of Aaron, Moses's brother, uh, Aaron the the high priest. Yeah, yeah. So what's happening in Numbers? The Midianites and the Moabites have uh, joined forces to um, to attack Israel, and Balak, the king of Moab, had sent for Balaam to curse Israel. And I think we all know that you know this isn't going to fly. And mm-hmm. God even goes so far the angel of the Lord appears and stops him mm-hmm. from cursing um, cursing Israel. And that's where we get the donkey talking that everybody knows about. But the, the main problem was the Midianites had, with, along with Balaam, had come up with this plan to send the Moabite women out to seduce the men of Israel. Okay. And so what happens is Moses, uh, he um, goes in and he hangs the leaders of the tribes and the, uh, the leaders of this movement who were doing all of this and, you know, hangs them before the Lord. And he tells the judges, I think it's interesting, it specifically says he tells the team, the judges, that this is God's punishment for what they're doing. And it's because they had yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. So this is the reason why they had to be hung. Okay. And when one of these leaders came into camp, he actually brings one of the Midian, um, the Moabite women with him. And when he does, Phineas is so mad that this woman is being brought into this holy place that he runs the man and the woman through with a sword. And I think I, yeah, yeah, I remember that story. So this is, yeah, he's, the, and God praises him. When you go to Numbers 25 and read it, God is completely okay with what Phineas has done. Right. And so um, the problem with this is math. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the numbers don't seem to work, but. And, and that's the thing. We, if you consider Phineas would have been at least probably what, 20 years old when that account happened. We have 40 years in the desert. We have, you know, 40 years of peace immediately preceding this event. And then what was it? 80 years of peace after mm-hmm. Othniel or Ehud. I can't remember, I can't remember who, right off the top yeah, of my head. But, so, you know, we're starting to have some problems. Now, there, again, there's been that suggestion that some of these things were happening, con- happening concurrently, uh, that some of the judges ruled in one part of the land and another judge ruled in another t- part of the land at the same time. We don't know, um, but we do know that Phineas was, because there's that Moabite Midianite connection, and he was the last prophetic voice or the last person really praised for being zealous for God without any kind of reservation as opposed to, you know, the judges. Mm. He kind of makes sense to have there, but I don't think it it really works. I don't think the math works. And also, I I mean, I don't see him being, I don't don't understand that when you have, just before that you have Deborah Mm -hmm. and, and uh, what was his name? Barack. Barack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, if it is Phineas, why, why isn't his name mentioned? If he's such a celebrated person, why doesn't the Bible name him here? Right. And, and the other problem, too, is why has he been quiet all of this time? 
where where was sure. that leading voice during this this time? Yeah. So I mean, th- there's some logical inconsistencies that that I think that makes it improbable. Yeah. No. That. No. I'm, I follow you. <laughs> so. Yeah. But you know, th- this is one of the reasons why the rabbinic writings are so much fun is because they do. Yeah. Well, and it's also why you don't just you don't just... agree with them blindly. <laughs> Precisely. And I know that's been really huge in a lot of Christian circles that if a rabbi says it, then we're going to take it as gospel. It's not. I, I have a high respect for their level of scholarship, uh, but at the same time, we have to be careful. So anyway, this prophet... Well, and, and especially ancient rabbis, because they were also dealing with a lot, like, they were, they were dealing with a lot of material that they didn't have. A mm-hmm. lot of the holes filled in like we do. They, don't, they didn't have access to the archaeological records and things like that. Right. It, precisely. And especially when we start talking like medieval rabbis like Rashi and Rabban and, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, the, exactly. the, yeah that's what I, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm referring and, to. Yeah, because I mean, we got to realize that the, also the rabbinic uh, schools of thought, I mean, they, they span from right after the destruction of the temple, mm-hmm. uh, really from 150 AD is when we really see it take off. And then we go, you know, all the way through to today. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many different schools of rabbis and so many different uh, time periods. And so you can't just assume that one rabbi knows what another rabbi or he came from the same culture. Sure. So sure. those are things to keep in mind. So a- as we move into this prophet's message, it's, he's basically got, he, he's got five points. Uh, you, you know, good homiletic there. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, he's <laughs> it's two more than is acceptable in the Baptist church. <laughs> Yeah, it, was it three points of him or a song? Uh, never mind. Three. <laughs> there's there's a long uh, formula uh, formula that you're supposed to follow, but this is why I don't do homiletics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, so he begins with "Thus says the Lord." So we got that nice formulaic pronouncement by him that that everything that follows when we hear that phrase in the Bible, everything that follows that phrase is not the person's words, it's God's words. Sure. So everything he's going to say is God's. God identifies himself as the God who brings them out of Egypt. Uh, so he's not a Canaanite God. He doesn't want there to be any confusion. And this is a point where there's been a lot of confusion because the Canaanites and the Israelites have been cohabitating for so long. And God basically, basically said, hey, I gave you the land. All you had to do was take it. Mm-hmm. And if you would have done this, you wouldn't fear the Amorites, but you lack the faith. You didn't believe in me and you didn't think I could be just as powerful here as I was in the desert. And so you missed your chance. Right. And the, the thing is, you didn't obey me. This all comes down to you didn't obey me. Now, what are you going to do? I mean, th- this is a dad lecture if I ever heard one. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, so you... Did what I said not to. You got hurt. Now what? Right. And I, I love the, the tone that God takes through judges. Yes, he is. I mean, he's dealing with unruly teenagers here. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it, I don't know. I, it just, it seems weird. It, that, I mean, and I, I mean, I kind of get it, but because we are, you know, we are kind of, you and I have been kind of in this in our, in our mindset of this mm-hmm. whole idea of now we're in this land. And I think they're they're still trying to figure out, like you said, who who's God here? Well, and and it seems weird to a Western mindset because we're so used to monotheism, mm-hmm. right? And we, you know, and and again, not that there's competitive gods that are that 
could outdo Yahweh. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's only, there's only one God mm-hmm. and the, the ultimate top of the stack and never will change that, that will yeah. never change, you know, but we're, we're so used to other spiritual entities not even having a, right. a piece in the game. Well, it, it's funny you bring that because I was listening to a podcast on the way up here and, um, it, the discussion was about how Christians were the original atheist in Roman culture because they didn't it actually, accept. It was, it was the Jews, yeah, actually. Yeah, Chris, sorry. Yeah, Jews and Christians together at that point because they, they weren't separated yeah. at this time. Yeah, the, the, yeah, where the phrase came from. So go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. because they didn't accept the, the, the um, pantheon, of, pantheon of gods. They, they only ascribed to one God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that they would disavow any of these other gods meant that they had to be against the gods, mm-hmm. not the God. And so the idea of one God, this is pretty new. If mm-hmm. you look at the total historical timeline, it's pretty radical in the history of humanity. Yep. There's so many societies today that still recognize multiple gods, multiple spiritual entities that, that you need to fear. Mm-hmm. You need to be afraid of. And I think that's the other thing we miss. These gods, you know, we think of them, oh, well, they had these nice little idols and they sat there in a building and no, these gods did things Mm -hmm. and and these people didn't just worship because they felt like bowing down in front of a piece of wood, but there had been enough demonstration of these gods power, however it was presented to them, whether it was just through circumstance of rain falling and that's just the season or there was an actual interaction Mm -hmm. with the gods that convinced these people that they were legitimate. And so um, we can talk about why that may or may not happen today on a future episode. But I think we forget that these gods were real to them. Yep. Yep. And maybe even more real than God is to a lot of Christians today. Yeah. Well, that's, (laughs) of course, speculative. Right. (laughs) Anyway, so... so... Go ahead. Okay. So that, that's pretty much, uh, that wraps up this prof- uh, the prophetic work that happens. And that kind of gives you kind of an idea of where, where the, the nation was and, and where the people's minds were. God is still trying to get their attention. He hasn't completely forgotten them. He, he's not going to, to defeat armies for them and help them gain land for them anymore. That, like I said, that door's closed. Mm-hmm. He said that, and which is a good reminder because now in verse 11, the angel of the Lord shows up and we haven't seen the angel of the Lord since chapter two. Right. And we need to remember that this is embodied God. And we, this passage just, it, it illustrates that so well, because um, there he, he's sitting under the, the, um, Oaks. Terabith. Yeah, Terabith or Oaks is actually the, uh, that was the word I was looking for. Uh, it's funny that sometimes they will translate it and then sometimes they leave it untranslated. And so the, the word there is Oaks. Uh, and again, we're reminded of all the other trees that have played a part mm-hmm. in, in Judges uh, specifically. And so we got, um, this is typically something that, that represents an important sacred site of, right. of some sort. And so we're going to talk about why this is important as we go forward. Wait, um, yeah. Are, are you, oh, we're coming back to the trees later. Yeah. We're, we're going to come back to the trees a little bit later, but go oh, ahead. Okay. No, I was just thinking it, it's kind of funny because we do hear a lot of Christians make fun of uh, 
Celtic religion and mm-hmm. pagan religion mm-hmm. about, oh, well, they have these sacred, they worship these sacred trees. And it's like, well, you see kind of the same theme throughout the whole Bible well, or throughout a large portion of the Old Testament. I think we forget that in these places where there's not a lot of buildings, where we don't have street signs, mm-hmm. these trees, if they were different, they were a different variety of tree. They were taller. They were, mm-hmm. they became landmarks. Yeah. And even uh, a lot of people don't realize in the West, cottonwoods, mm-hmm. uh, alamos, yeah. the, the, these trees became landmarks and people use them to navigate by. Right. And so. And you find water. Precisely, because cottonwoods have to have a ton of water. Yep. And so um, trees trees really do. They designate places where military leaders, we'll just go ahead, where military leaders and religious leaders set, but they also, that I'm putting this together as we go, when we find water, water is also representative of the Spirit of God. This mm-hmm. is provision. So yep. if you've got water and this tree marks the spot of water, now this tree becomes a sacred kind of street sign, it, mm-hmm. you know. So it makes sense if you just stop and think about it for one moment, particularly when we're talking about the, the desert and wilderness of Israel. Mm-hmm. What's the most important commodity? Water. Water. <laughs> and so, or wine. Or, yeah. Sorry. No, that's... I guess that's more of a luxury item. That well, that was a symbol of God's ultimate provision and abundant provision. Yeah, well, yeah, because it was a luxury. Because yeah. if you didn't have enough grapes Great. to make mm-hmm. wine with, then God wasn't providing. You were not having abundance. Right. So. Yeah. You just ate whatever happened to be on the vine, and you didn't have enough to make wine. So, because wine was actually uh, created as a way to store extra grapes. Right. So, anyway, little tidbit there for you. And it turned <laughs> out to be a lot of fun. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> unless you're a Noah. So anyway, that's a different story. So Gideon actually, speaking of wine, he's in a wine press and he's beating out the wheat. Right. And we need to remember that this is where he is. He's in a wine press. Um, he's also there. It's nighttime. And so now we've got two ways to read this. This is either really great strategy to avoid the, the Midianites mm-hmm. or this is cowardice. Well, I think it's, I think it's a little both, but the... Also, you have this illustration that the, there, there is, you know, he's in the wine press. Right. So there's no wine. Right. I mean, it's dry. And it's dry enough that you can, <laughs> you can beat out wheat. Right. Because you can't do that with wet grain. Precisely. So, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. But, you know, it, well, and I think the other two thing, too, is sometimes cowardice results in good strategy. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, if you're, when you're fearless, sometimes you do things that aren't so wise. Uh, so. This angel of the Lord, he addresses Gideon and he's like, you know, rise up, oh, mighty man of valor. And that really, you know, is God being ironic there or is is he calling something into being? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this a prophetic word? Right. And so the the text really kind of leads you to, to ask these questions. What's going on with Gideon right now? Why is he the one chosen? And, and why is God calling him by this name? And so um, the, what we need to realize, too, is at this point, God's a visible entity. This is verse 12. God's a visible entity. He is embodied. But God hasn't been around for seven years because the Midianites have been attacking for seven years. Mm-hmm. and. Gideon really he is an embodying valor at the at this point. But when he hears these words, 
I love his response. It's just so, I mean, it's so human and it's so very relatable. And I've heard so many people say something very similar to this in hard times. Uh, This is verse 13. Gideon says, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I mean, not much of a house for not much of a donkey. Yeah. I mean, it's, and he's kind of echoing the words of that prophet. That's exactly what I was going to say. He's kind of recounting that back to like, hey, uh, God's prophet said this. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be true. Right. He's, he's having a crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. And, And I, I think that's reasonable. I mean, we have two bad weeks and we start to fall apart, you know? Well, yeah. If you're having hard times, uh, you know, if you're, if you're to the point where you have to secretly refine your wheat. You're living a in a cave. Life. Yeah. Yeah. You're living in a cave. And there's even more to this story that doesn't come out till later. And uh-huh. there's more reason why Gideon has this reaction and, and why he's. Why there's a certain level of bitterness in his words. Uh, and, you know, the, everything he's saying is right. Everything he's saying is true, mm-hmm. except for he hasn't acknowledged the, why it's happening. Right. He, he's not, you know, this is so familiar. Uh, well, you know, I'm in a bad financial situation, and so God doesn't love me. I lost my job, so God doesn't love me. I, whatever you want to do. Well, then you go back and you find out, well, this person's been going to the casino every weekend. This is why they're in a bad financial situation. Right. Uh, or they lost their job because they weren't actually going in when they were supposed to, or they were leaving earlier. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, they, they've, the, the facts might be true, but they aren't accepting the underlying reason for it. Yep. And, and that's the one part of the prophet speech that Gideon's not recounting. He, he's not including in this <laughs> statement. And so he's basically turning his own words into a lie by not telling the, the full truth. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, at first I was like, where are you going with that? Okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. It's well, and what I love is God just kind of turns to him. Uh, verse 14. And you'll notice the text says it shows God does turn towards him again, requiring that body. Mm hmm. And uh, the word there is the Lord. It's Yahweh. This is definitely God, not an angel. And in very specific in this verse. Which is so interesting because we really gloss over this a lot of times when we study this passage. The fact that God is is there interacting. Mm -hmm. And And we we have this going back and forth uh, from, you know, verse 11 says it's the angel of the Lord. Then we get down to 14 and then it. And it specifically says, and the Lord turned to him. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you can't just say, oh, well, the angel was speaking on behalf of God, which right. a lot of times that's the yeah. argument that the against this being God. Although it does take Alan Rickman out of the story in my mind. <laughs> so yeah. I, <laughs> for those of you who have seen Dogma. <laughs> he, he was such a great voice of God. Um, so good voice. Uh, I'm but, sad that he passed so yeah. early. One so. of the few celebrities that actually kind of, Got to me. Yeah. Him and uh, Leonard Nimoy for me. That yeah. That was the one that. Those definitely. But I digress. So, yeah. And so I think that's important. This is actually one of the few times that the rabbis, even the Jewish teachers will acknowledge that this is God embodied. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few times will they actually 
agree on that, but the, it's the text is so plain. Yeah. That they can't, you, you just can't get around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so God's, God's direction to Gideon really is, you know, you want to an answer to your prayer? Congratulations, you're it. You mm-hmm. know, you, you are the answer to your prayer. And how many times is that true? <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, you know, there, there is a, a meme that says, you know, uh, who was I? I? I mean, it started out as, as a more famous quote, but it's kind of <laughs> turned into a meme that's like, you know, I, I, I asked God why he let, why he let, uh, bad things happen to good people, why, why children are starving, why there's mm-hmm. wars and stuff like that. And he, then he asked me the same thing, like why we yeah. let that happen. Well, yeah. And a lot of times I think the, the things we want to gripe about being wrong in the world, God said, okay, I've given you the tools to address it. I've given mm-hmm. you the ability to do something. This is your job. Right. We're right. supposed to be stewards of the earth. And so, I mean, we aren't going to be able to eradicate evil. We, we know that. Jesus said we're always going to have the poor with us. We're going to, there's going to be bad things happening. And ultimately, it's going to take God's intervention. But until that time, we need to be doing what we can to address these situations. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'll quit preaching now. Yeah, so, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm with you on that. Because they're, they're, we do have a lot of tools to make the world better. It's never going to be utopia, never going to be paradise. Well, that was another thing I saw recently. I mean, basically somebody said um, everyone who's tried to create utopia has ended up creating hell. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, but there are, but of course, then you get into how are we going to improve things? Are we we going to try to to implement it through, uh, you know, government interventions? Or are we just going to, you know, help our neighbors out? Right. Well, you know, and and I I think helping the neighbor out goes so much farther. Uh, when you really get down to it and, and making, making yeah. the world a better place. Um, because when people, when we help lift each other's burdens off that we can see and actually mm-hmm. find out the best way to, to do it, as opposed to try not to get too political, but you get bogged <laughs> down in bureaucracy and you have a one size fits all solution for, for things that and don't. And that doesn't work. And it, it doesn't. It's yeah. never worked. And so we, we have to be able to, to look people in the eye and go, what will help the most right now? Precisely. And, and that's the thing. It, it comes down to being relational. And most of us don't want to be relational with people we think are broken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a problem with that. And I, that's been something that I've had to learn how to walk in that uh, better, uh, being a park host. And because we have a lot of homeless people mm-hmm. who, who stay in our park. Um, and some of them are just amazing, I mean, brilliant minds. Mm-hmm. And they're really using, they're choosing to be there as a way to better themselves. But uh, then we've got some who are just looking for the next handout. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, learning that wisdom and discernment, what's going to help someone and what's going to, you know, buy more drugs for someone. And that's right. Those are, those are hard calls to make. And so, uh, you know, like you said, finding out where to help someone, how to help someone and letting it be relational. Mm -hmm. And so these are huge factors. So, but yeah, Gideon's response through all of this, again, he's such the teenage boy. God is so much the father. And, you know, I, I guess because our dad was very much, you figure it out. You, mm-hmm. you know, he, he always wanted us to be the ones striving to, to uh, come up with a solution. And he really liked it when we came up with a solution. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I kind of... I really, I accept the fact that my father fills in a lot of blanks for me in the story. 
because our images of God so often are influenced by what kind of relationship we had with our dads. Absolutely. So, but, um, you know, Gideon, he, he immediately, he, he does what everybody does. God says, here's the solution. You are the solution. And Gideon goes, um, not me. Right. I, I'm from a small clan. We're in a small tribe. I'm the youngest son. Can't be me. You need to go pick somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that immediately we're, we're dealing with several stories. Well, I mean, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, it's kind of on a grander scale, but you know, it's the, the good Samaritan story, you know, it's, there's a, there's a problem here, but, oh, well, I'm, I'm busy or this mm-hmm. is going to make me late for work or this is going to, you know, whatever. It's a huge inconvenience. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I just got off a, a 10 hour shift and I'm mm-hmm. exhausted. Uh, you know, it, yeah, there's, there's, you know, we always have an excuses. excuse. Yeah, we always. Well, and we're even right back with Moses. Oh, you know, I, I, I'm slow with speech and mm-hmm. I, there's all these reasons I can't serve. David being the youngest son. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's no one God can't use. Right. And, and he demonstrates that over and over again. And, and the key is in verse 16 when he says, I will be with you. Yep. And finally, this. This is actually the point where Gideon kind of seems to get a clue. He seems to understand, hey, wait a minute. Well, and, and, and <laughs> here's another point to that. And I'm, again, I'm probably getting way off track of where we actually should be going. But there is, okay, so there's a video online. Of course, it's online. Um, everything's online. Let's get ready to say, what isn't online? <laughs> uh, I have an answer to that. Anyway. It's probably the same one I thought of later. Too. <laughs> the... Um, the, no, there's there's a video on how to start. It's called How to Start a Movement. I think it's I think it's actually a TED Talk or something. It sounds about right. And, TED Talk. And they break down this video that's like a minute long. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy is out on the beach, and he just starts dancing, and he's out there dancing by himself, right? Oh yes, I've seen and, this. And then and then another guy starts to dance with him, and then two or three, and they break down this video that there's there's the you know, there's the person who starts whatever mm-hmm. this movement is and, uh, and they can, they can be dancing by themselves all day, but what has to happen in order to actually get the movement going is they have to have that devoted follower. Mm-hmm. And they said in a movement, the devoted follower is probably the most important person to getting everyone else on board because it does two things that devoted First follower, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's the term they use, but that, that's what we're going to use. Aaron to the Moses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that person does two things. That they actually, they don't only just draw the crowd and add to the numbers, but what they do is they actually encourage and reinforce the mindset of the person who's starting the movement. And so I think with with this, you kind of have a similar thing, and uh, where you know, Gideon's being told to do something, uh, and being told what he can do, but then God's saying, no, I'm going to go with you. Yeah. I'll be with you. I will support you. And I think that's kind of interesting. And again, I'm, I'm psychologizing the text here a little (laughs) much, but it really does make a difference. It's, it's a difference between, you know, people, you know, how many times have we heard, I'm going to 
complain a little bit, but how many times have we heard <laughs> great and wonderful things about what people say we can and should do, but whenever it's time to get in the car and mm-hmm. go, nobody's around. Right. Right. And so, um, that's, you know, so I'm talking to, to, uh, our, our, uh, our <laughs> listeners, thank you um, right. because you're showing up and you're encouraging and, and, and that goes a long way. So uh, it, it really does. It, you know, as you're talking, cause one of the things I'm thinking about God's saying, you're going to lead the movement. I'm going to be with you. And, and he, he's, it's almost like God is saying, even though I'm the leader, I'm also making you the leader. I mean, mm-hmm. There's this weird kind of dichotomy going on where this is 100% God's action in and through Gideon. Mm-hmm. If, but Gideon's going to step up and, and he's going to be the figurehead. Right. He's going to be the one that, that everyone's going to rally behind. And, and he's successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he puts out his call for troops, he has 32,000 men show up. Yeah. So, and we're going to talk about a little bit about why that may have happened. Okay. But so anyway, that, that, was, that was my rabbit trail. So yeah. I mean, no, I, that, that's good. Cause I think, um, you know, I, I don't think people realize how much they change things. And uh, yes, we have had people who've gotten behind us with this and other projects and, you know, they're the reason we're still going yep. when we've had crazy weeks with broken arms and everything else. So, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, Gideon makes the request for a sign. Now, this is not the wrong thing to do, because I know sometimes there is a criticism that you shouldn't ask God for a sign. Right. Gideon's trying to validate that this is the right God and that this is really God speaking to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that makes sense. It, well, I mean, again, we're back where the other gods were real. I mean, if somebody walks up to you, okay, let, let's just put this in today's thing. If somebody walks up to you and says, hey, Nathan, I'm God and you need to assemble an army. Are you going to just trust that person? No. <laughs> I mean, so why would Gideon? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, that, yeah, of course, we're not being, we're, I mean, I, I hate to use this because I feel like this phrase has been abused. We're living in a different time now. Right. Um, we, we, you know, I, I don't consider myself to be part of God's, you know, chosen people who are right. chosen to, you know, drive out the Nephilim or anything like that. Okay. So you assemble a, an army to feed the poor. Uh, You're still going <laughs> to. I'm going to doubt that that person is God. Right. <laughs> um, You know, just, I, I, I would need some kind of something to, to validate they were God. Well, and I think that's appropriate. I mean, we're even told to test the spirits. Sure. Uh, and, you know, John, um, he even says, sends messengers to Jesus and says, you know, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know sometimes people well, have bashed John for that. Well, well and, and, and I love Jesus's answer. He's like, well, there are signs. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> you know, which Jesus is a little sarcastic, I think, at some point. Oh, definitely. Actually, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, um, of course, everyone is... Uh, right now, well, everyone's always thinking the end is near. Um, so uh, it's kind of funny because I had a, a, a roommate who, uh, well, Jono, you remember mm-hmm. Jono? I don't Love think you'd mind me using his name on the air. But he, um, it was funny because we were talking about the end times at some point, And he goes, 
Because, you know, I think Jesus was just kind of messing with the disciples. You know, they're like, they're like, Rabbi, Rabbi, when, when's the world going to end? How, when's, when's the, the eschaton, you know, all this. And he's like, okay, write this down. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Uh-huh. Wars. Earthquakes. Yeah. Earthquakes. Wait a minute. He's like, when has there never not been those things? Right. And he, he's like, he thinks it's, I mean, I think he was joking about that, but he goes, I kind of think it was Jesus just being like, being like, okay, pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess too, you know, no one knows the time or the day. And, right. you know, so if anybody tells you they've got it figured out, they're saying they're smarter than Jesus. So you need to run. Uh, yeah. Just make it real simple. So in this sign, I think it's interesting at this point, Gideon isn't asking anything from God. Uh, he, he's, he wants a sign, but the way he's going to get the sign is to give to God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, it's an interesting concept because I think so often there's this idea, oh, I want a sign, so I'm waiting for God to, to you know, part the heavens and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, careful, you're getting <laughs> dangerously close to, to some name it, claim it theology. Right? <laughs> well, it, but, I, I, okay. I didn't say you were espousing it. I said, it's, <laughs> it, it, I, I could see how someone could use that, that train of thought in, right. in, into like a, you know, yeah. word of faith. Just, and this is why you've got to keep all scripture intention and you've got to have all the pieces on the, po- on the board. I, yeah, I've been thinking about this. Remember when we were younger and probably slightly before our time, but we saw the evidence of when they would do the string art with the little nails and the, the strings, they would uh, wrap it to make like ships on the ocean. And it was all just done with threads. Oh yeah. I've seen, yeah. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that. It, yeah. That's kind of like when you read the Bible, you almost have to have all of those. Yeah. There's a, actually a really nice, uh, there, there's actually, there is some string art like, like what you're talking about. I actually just saw that. Uh, there's a, a little brewery in town that has some of that hanging up. So yeah, I could take some pictures of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it doesn't make it's, it, it's an abstract picture, but mm-hmm. yeah, but it's a beautiful picture and you, yeah, if you didn't have all the nails there, it wouldn't. Yeah. And I think you've got to have all the nails and everything you learn about the Bible that you can pin down and go, this is right. And you, you can, that's one more place to, to weave that string. Yeah. Well, well, and, and of course I like my guitar string analogy. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if I've done it on the air before, but it's, it's been a while if we have, but the, uh, you know, a a guitar string, you have to attach it to both ends. Mm -hmm. You have to attach to the bridge and to the, and to the, the tuning peg. And then after that, you have to pull it tight, tight. Otherwise, you know, if it's only attached at one end, it's just kind of dangerous and makes no useful noise. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I think of when I think of holding the different parts of Bible intention, you have to, you have to attach it, you have to fix it, you have to tune it. Mm-hmm. And, and when you get those things operating in the appropriate tension, then you can make some music. Right. And I think that's a great example. I've actually stolen that from you several times. So, <laughs> but, Oh, I know. Well, it's, you're my brother. You're supposed to share. Occasionally I've fallen to something good. So. <laughs> So uh, verse 18, Gideon, he, he's bringing a menka. And if you remember that word, uh, that's back. That's, with, that's from Ehud. Precisely. And uh, Eglon. Yes. That's I what remembered he, a thing. <laughs> yes. A little bit of Hebrew there. Uh, this is usually a, a, an offering that's designated to God whenever we find it in scripture. 
And, um, you know, and God doesn't seem to be annoyed by the, by the request and Gideon asked him to, to wait. Well, he's getting a meal out of it. Right. (laughs) Feed me all the way around. (laughs) So, and so we've got the, the similarity going on here. Um, like we've mentioned with Moses, uh, and I want to kind of look at those similarities and then we're going to talk specifically about what that gift was. Um, because Gideon, he's working for his dad. Mm-hmm. Moses was working with his father-in-law. Gideon's hiding from the Midianites. Mm-hmm. Moses was hiding from the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Joash, Gideon's dad, we're going to find out he's a priest. He's a pagan priest. Jethro oh. was a priest. Okay. God appears to, Midian, uh, to Gideon. God appears to Moses. Mm-hmm. I will be with you. The only time God says these, this phrase in the whole Bible, in the whole Torah, and yeah, the whole Bible, uh, is to Moses and to Gideon. Okay. So only time those words appear. Interesting. The pro- I didn't realize that. Yeah. They both protest okay. and they both want a sign. Now, here's the difference. Moses wanted a sign so that he could convince the people it was God who called him. Gideon wants a sign to convince himself it's God who is calling him. Fair enough. So that, that's the distinction between the two. And that's, that's a major difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, it's especially because he is going, I thought you left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You <laughs> haven't been around for seven years. And if you haven't been around for seven years, why should I trust that you, you show up now? Right. And yeah. So you kind of get why, why he was feeling this way. So Gideon, he goes and he prepares this meal. Now, this meal is something else. And I think we don't realize what he's making. He makes, uh, this is verse 19 through 21. Okay. And uh, you want to? No, I don't want to read okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so it just says here in the ESV that he prepares a young goat and unleavened cakes uh, with about an ephah of flour. For those of you who. Yeah. So, okay. You know what ephah is. A young goat typically feeds about 15 people. Okay. An ephah. Of course you would have looked that up. Yes, I did. (laughs) Uh, An ephah of flour is 25 and a half pounds of flour. Okay. So a little excessive. Uh, This this is the test. No human being can consume this meal. No single person is going to sit down and, and... eat everything, but it is a meal appropriate to give a God. Okay. I like that. It's yeah. interesting. And so now food is at a premium right now because the Midianites, they've been destroying the crops. So any meal would have been sacrificial, but this is over and above. Now, God, he, he instructs Gideon, you know, put the meat and the bread on a rock and then pour the broth because Gideon also brings broth, pour broth over it. And God touches it with his staff. And it immediately burst into flames. Mm-hmm. So now we got four stories that should just be running through everybody's minds. We got Moses, as we pointed out earlier. Sure. We have Elijah at Mark, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, where you put yep, the sacrifice yep, yep. and pour mm-hmm. the liquid over it. Yep. We got Cain and Abel. The, the fact that God accepted the, the sacrifice. Okay. It, it, it's it's a worthy sacrifice. God could have refused it with just like He refused Cain's offering. Sure. And matter of fact, the rabbinic writings even have that 
when Cain and Abel, the way they knew that their, their offerings had been accepted and rejected was God sent down fire to consume Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Yeah. So, and they based that on these stories. Okay. So the other thing is that the testing element brings us to, to Moses because Moses, if you look at his story closely and we get into the, the wilderness, there's, there's three different tests. In Exodus 15, 25, God tests Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have the manna. I'm oh, sorry, the bitter waters. And so God tests Israel with the bitter waters. And then in Exodus 16, 4, once again, God tests Israel with food. And this is manna. And then um, the people in Exodus 17, 7 test God with the waters. Mm-hmm. So we have this reversal. Two tests where God tests Israel to remind them that they are totally dependent on him. And then it, it flips where the people test God. Now, it's okay for God to test us. Mm-hmm. It's not okay for us to test God. So right. this is, we're, we're having to draw a comparison between what was going on with Moses and, and Gideon and the people here, because God is, he's testing Gideon in that he's calling Gideon to respond to him. Mm-hmm. And Gideon's testing him, not are you going to provide for me, but are you who you say you are? And the, So it's a different type of It's a different type. Yeah, and because the people here in, in Exodus, they knew who God was. Right. They had all the signs that they, that they really needed to have. Mm-hmm. And their response is, when their response is to turn around and test God and, and push back against him, this is where the problem is. Now, Gideon, you'll notice when he has, goes through this testing time with God, and this is verse 22, this is Gideon's response. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And he says, I'm going to die. Yeah. He, he's terrified. And, you know, of course, we're going back to Exodus 33, 20, where you know, Moses gets to see God. And we, we're told that you can't see God face to face and live. Um, but we also in Deuteronomy 34, 10 are told that Moses did see God face to face. Right. And again, we have another one of these, these dad moments. God has embodied. God has left. Mm-hmm. And in verse 23, God basically says, eh, won't kill you. And you know, it, it, he's like, God shrugs it off and but he's still talking. So from this point on in the story, we're going to have disembodied God. We're just going to have the voice of God coming to Gideon. So mm-hmm. at this moment, this foundational moment of calling, God shows up bodily. He accepts this, this God-sized meal mm-hmm. from Gideon, and he confirms for Gideon, this is who's calling you to service, and this is why you need to act. Right. And that's what's so important about this opening scene. I think it's interesting that we don't actually look at it all the time in, in, in very much depth. So, no, it's there's a lot of details in there that, again, every time I've heard this taught, it just kind of gets glossed over on on those details. We go straight to the fleece. Yeah, and there's what, so which, much more. I mean, it's kind of weird because it's. I mean, it's it's this part seems no less miraculous than the fleece. He's talking to God face to face. What more do you want? <laughs> I, you know, I would hope that would be all of our desire, that we would actually get to, to talk to God, to see God. And 
I, I think we will eventually. Right, right. Every, everyone's going to see him at some point. <laughs> exactly. That's a promise. <laughs> yeah. Some of us will be happy about it. Some of us not so much. So, yeah, but that's. <laughs> I'll be thrilled. <laughs> I think it's, I, I don't even know, like. Yeah. The concept of the, of, of what's going to happen. And I've just, I've just really been enjoying, uh, not all the time, but just every now and again lately, I've just been kind of thinking about that. And it's like, what, you know, what happens after this? And, and I, and it's actually kind of funny because, um, I've been listening to a lot of some of the podcasts I've been going on about have been talking about how there's, you know, of course, there's always been a there's there's been a longstanding debate among scholars about how much of modern Christianity is just uh, Plato or mm-hmm. Platonism uh, and yeah, yeah, and, and this idea that uh, the, a lot of people in the church don't realize that heaven's not our destination; it's not right. our home. And, and and of course, you know, it's funny because. It's really funny to me because I'm hearing everyone talk about this lately. Not everyone, but a lot of podcasters mm-hmm. and and people talk about this. I'm talking to everyone from NT Wright to right. Well, uh, I think to he, the reformed. Yeah, I people. think NT Wright really kind of pushed people when he started talking about it. I think a lot of other people began talking yeah, about it. Yeah, but I mean, even even some of the reformed Baptist, reformed Presbyterian podcasters, mm-hmm. like like the whole gamut. Like, yeah, what's, it's funny because I just I just just saying that out loud is like, yeah, I actually do listen to like kind of weird variety <laughs> of teachers. Um, but um, the uh, but but the the idea is that that you know they say a lot of Christians don't realize that the new earth is our home, mm-hmm. that God's mm-hmm. making a new earth for us, and that's ultimately where we're going to be, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a perfect restored earth, right. And so I, I think that's kind of wild, but I, there's something about that that it kind of excites me more than the idea of, 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 of living in heaven right. um, with the harps uh, and the togas. Well, yeah, of course, <laughs> when you have that view of heaven, you know, I wouldn't mind learning to play the harp. It seems cool, but whatever. <laughs> um, but no, just the idea that we're going to live on earth and God's going to be there with us. Right. And I think that's so cool. I, I 100% agree. I, and I think it's fun to contemplate those things and, and you know, and it realize everything that you envision and imagine God's going to exceed it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and one of the things that I, that, and this, this actually, this is so funny to me because, uh, and I, I know we all have days that we hate our jobs, <laughs> but, um, is it actually is kind of encouraging whenever you look at what's what's going to happen after this and you and again new earth we get to have glorified bodies but then we're also going to have jobs mm-hmm. and so it does kind of help as i'm looking at this to go you know paul says we're going to be judging angels mm-hmm. so we better learn good judgment here mm-hmm. and so we're going to and then you know other parts it says we'll be co-ruling with Christ. Right. Um, you know, it's like, okay, so we're going to have things to do. So we might as well look at trying to learn to enjoy hard, not let's say hard work, but enjoy work mm-hmm. and, and being responsible while we're here. I mean, if Paul thinks we need to start cultivating skills now, we might as well start cultivating skills now. And so thought about that it. actually kind of, yeah, it actually kind of keeps me encouraged in my day to day when you work maintenance and basically you know, almost every day, the work you did the day before is undone. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
you know, to so, like being a parent, huh? <laughs> yes, it's exactly like being a parent. Um, so it really it's encouraging to have that little bit to meditate on and still still have some joy to carry you through your day when you're sweeping floors and vacuuming and and all this stuff. You know, it, yeah, it yeah, helps I, and it, I had and it helps me to to be kind to the people that I work for who are destroying the work that I do, you know, <laughs> and I know and I'm not, I'm not saying that in a malicious or mean way. I, 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 that's part of the job. And but it really does. I mean, so if you want to talk about like, how does this help in the day to day? It helps me a lot that way. Yeah. Yeah. I I hadn't put it together the way that you, you got it there. And I but I think it, it is useful. I mean, because I know a lot of times whenever I've had a job that I hate, I remember, okay, I'm not doing this for, you know, my boss. I am doing this for the Lord and mm-hmm. really to keep that in mind. And it's amazing how much better you will sweep a floor mm-hmm. if you think of it in that perspective or, you know, wash a dish or whatever. And, and I'm not flawless in this. I still have mm-hmm. the days where I'm like, I am going to lose it. I still have those days, but it does help whenever I get I to that. I you have those days. You call me on those yeah, days. Yeah, I call you on those days and we talk about it. But, you know, it, but we, I, I, it does help. It helps me to to think about that and refocus because it is that the, and mm-hmm. and then the other the other thing that the other thing that helps uh, sometimes is something Dad used to say. You know, uh, when people would say "Have a good day," he says, "Well, pays the same either way." <laughs> so he might as well pays the same either way. So that was i can't hold my one. breath there when something uh, dad used to uh, say <laughs> what, what did dad used to say don't say that don't repeat what dad said so anyway <laughs> but that so there's your other uh lesson at the end of this so um we already there uh we we're at an hour i think awesome i think that's a is that a good yeah I think let, that's a good spot yeah, to break let's, let's uh, break there chapter wise so um yeah so i guess we should do the credits well, not really credits. Yeah, roll credits. Here's the production team. <laughs> Theme song composed, recorded by me. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the first time we've mentioned that. I, I was just yeah. thinking. I was thinking p- things that other people do at the end of their credits. Yeah. Artwork done <laughs> by me. Another oddities is recorded in my extra in the spare bedroom. Um, the. <laughs> wow, we may be a little slap happy Pro- today. Produced, <laughs> produced and recorded. Anyway. Uh, but yes, if you want to be part of this craziness, uh, which we know you do, right? Uh, Who wouldn't? <laughs> I should have got more sleep last night. <laughs> I think your spouse Raven sometimes Creek. regret it. But anyway. <laughs> Raven Creek SC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, RavenCreekSC.com is where you can find our website. Uh, there's some blogs. You also get show notes. Um, the commentarians commentarians uh changed my mind we've got all kinds of stuff over there um the support button um we do love that um we appreciate it um because it helps keep the show going helps keep us encouraged and it helps keep us accountable um to to do that um anyway uh other thing um if you don't feel like clicking that support button and either doing patreon or paypal or paypal um, please, uh, share this, rate it, give us a review on iTunes. That, that leave probably us, helps us the most of anything. Leave us a comment. Let us know you're there. Yeah. Leave us a comment. Let us know you're there. And, uh, we are coming up. Emily and I were talking, we are getting, we're in the high forties. This is episode, what, 48? I believe so. Yes. So we're getting pretty close to a year. So we got to, if you have any ideas about what we should do for our 
one year special episode, let us know. And if not, we'll just maybe carry on like we've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) So that being said, thank you so much for joining us and uh, everyone have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.